Support for Market Foolery comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. You're confident when it comes to your work and life. Rocket Mortgage gives you the same confidence when it comes to refinancing your existing mortgage or buying a home. It lets you understand all the details so you can be confident that you're getting the right mortgage for you. Go to rocketmortgage.com slash fool. It's Monday, July 10th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser. Happy Monday. Happy Monday. Holy cow! I mean, <laughs> our earnings season hasn't really kicked in yet, and we got a bunch of news. I was gonna say this is a good Monday. This is a good Monday. Like <laughs> yesterday, is, I was thinking, okay, as I was like, you know, doing some yard work around the house, I'm thinking, man, I, I looked quickly at the earnings calendar. I'm like, man, damn, there's no real stories. I'm we're thinking better, better, better hope for something. And and hey, it look, looks like it turned out okay. Yeah, we got some retail news. We got sports apparel. We have a full investing event that is coming later this month that we'll tell you about, but we're going to start with fashion apparel. Abercrombie & Fitch had been in discussions for a potential buyout deal, and this morning, executive chairman Arthur Martinez issued a statement that included the following sentence. Board of Directors has determined that the best path to enhance value for stockholders is the rigorous execution of our business plan. And investors were so impressed by that that shares of Abercrombie and Fitch are down more than twenty percent this morning. <laughs> what are they doing? Well, so that that <laughs> what are they that doing? quote is tantamount to we see 2017, 2018 as a year of investment, right? Whenever we see companies talk about the upcoming year as being a year of investment, particularly in retail, I mean, that's just code for batting down the hatches. We don't really know how this is going to work out, and it could be a long time if this ever actually uh, turns around meaningfully. And, and I mean, with Abercrombie and Fitch, I mean, this is one we've talked about a lot. In the past uh, earnings seasons, just because they are really caught between a rock and a hard place. I mean, this is to me, this is a great example of what we mean when we talk about not investing in something with acquisition as the main crux of the thesis. I mean, you could have gone into something like Abercrombie and Fitch and thought, oh, well, I mean, now they're talking about acquisition, so it's going to be a matter of time. Someone's going to go in there and sweep that thing up, and there's some value there. So, well, you probably aren't feeling so good about that today if you if you uh, took that direction. And, and I mean, every clue out there tells you that this is a business in crisis. I mean, the top line is shrinking, margins are getting crushed. You've got a brand that really does appear to be losing relevance on a daily basis. I, I don't necessarily. And once upon a time, this was a really hot brand. It was, and, and I think that again, I mean, as as we've we've talked about before, I I look towards. My kids, their friends, the schools to kind of see what these kids are doing, wearing, and what matters to them most. I just don't think Abercrombie and Fitch is something that carries any sway for the generations of shoppers that are that are coming online now. And and I mean, I don't. I'm not saying it should or it shouldn't. I mean, I don't really care. I'm sort of fashion agnostic, as you can tell by my full school T-shirt. But I mean, you know, I am just uh, it's a nice T-shirt. <laughs> well, thank you very much. It's a, it's it's a nice thing we're doing. We enjoy it. Um, the stock is at its lowest point since June of. Would you care to guess the year? Uh, Two thousand. Well, it's it's maybe thirty cents away from being the lowest point this century. But June of two thousand, it was slightly lower than it is right now. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know. I don't know why anyone would invest in this business. I mean, it's not a fundamentally good business. Like every metric, every 
clue tells you, no, we shouldn't invest in this one. We'll take a pass. Now, does that mean that you you couldn't jump in there today and and perhaps make a couple of bucks if a deal is struck with some other party? Of course, that could happen. I mean, but you have to sort of weigh the chances of that versus uh, the opportunities for other ways to make money out there. And so for us. Uh, certainly, as, as business-focused investors, I mean, this is one where there are enough red flags to warrant uh, passing and not even thinking twice. Well, and to that point of uh, someone's going to find value in it at some price. We've seen this movie before, where company Company X says we're putting ourselves up for sale. They don't like the offers on the table, so a few months later, as is the case with Abercrombie and Fitch, they say, you know what? We don't like these offers. We're going it alone. And then six, twelve months down the line, it's actually we'll take that offer, right? And it, and it yeah, make no mistake. I mean, this stuff can keep going down, and we've seen situations like this before. Everywhere from something like what was it, Aeropostale was a good example there on on the retail side. You look at something like Leapfrog, which I think a lot of people maybe thought there was some value still there. Same thing; those things just eventually go almost to zero. Uh, so there's there's no reason. Why that couldn't happen with with Abercrombie and Fitch as well? I just don't think the brand really holds any value whatsoever. Shares of Costco down a little bit today. Their same store sales in June were up six percent. Uh, that we were talking earlier this morning. That's a good number. Yeah, uh, for a retailer of that size, that's a good number. It, it hasn't really impressed investors though, and I think you can. You can look at the point where Amazon announced they were buying Whole Foods and draw a straight line from that point in time to where Costco shares are today. It's down about a little more than fifteen percent during just in the past few weeks. Yeah, I think I think with with Costco, so the burden of proof with with Costco, the burden of proof is on the bull to explain why they think this is still a 30 multiple stock okay this is not a bad business by any means i mean i think costco is a good business and and it's one that we owned in in million dollar portfolio for a time and we sold it um i think back in may of last year or so so it's been around maybe a year since we sold it and and it was in that 165 range and the concern was just that we thought you know this is a situation where the the Retail space is changing very quickly. Obviously, e-commerce is becoming more meaningful. So, looking forward the next decade, how attractive a proposition is that Costco membership, that Costco experience? And and we we felt like that just wasn't really the direction that shoppers were headed for the most part. And I think that what we are seeing is is generally just a repricing on Costco shares. I don't think it's going to be a stock that commands. That premium multiple that it once did, and I think it it garnered that multiple because of a reliable membership model, very customer centric management, and I think those qualities still exist today. But you get to a point where you're big enough to where it becomes more and more difficult to really stoke that growth. It's not like Costco is going to be able to keep on opening up stores left and right. I mean, we saw the same thing happen with Walmart. And uh, I mean, we saw the same thing happen with Whole Foods. And really, I mean, if the Whole Foods Amazon deal, that was really probably the best case scenario for Whole Foods investors right there. So it's it's not to say that Costco is a bad business at all. It's just that I think that going forward, the market is going to look at this stock um, from a little bit of a different perspective on the valuation side. Uh, if you look at the last three years, they've grown earnings at less than ten percent annualized. The last five years, it's just right at ten percent annualized. I, I I don't know why. That 
stock deserves that 30 multiple. I don't think it's going to get it. And so I think that what we're seeing is the market kind of repricing it a little bit. And I, I think there are some areas where they need to improve also. I mean, I was just looking at some of these numbers here recently. And since 2012, they spent almost $2.5 billion on share repurchases. And yet, during that same stretch of time, the share count is actually up. Now, for a business like this, that is sacrilege. It cannot happen. Like, you can't be doing that. Um, I think the special dividend that they just paid out in May, I think that was sort of an implicit admission on management's part. They realized the headwinds on the capital gains side for the stock. They know the challenges they face, and I think they wanted to reward shareholders uh, in another fashion. And I think that was a fine offer there. Um, but but when you look at it from the investing perspective, I just it's it, it's a different business today. It's a much bigger business than it was you know ten years ago, and I think that, that shopping behavior is, is going to be far different in these coming ten years than it was before. And I think that's going to present some challenges to Costco. Well, and when you think about growth opportunities for any retailer or restaurant for that matter, uh, when you think about what is their physical presence and what is their track record in terms of opening new locations? And I think, you know, I've talked about this before with Chipotle, with how, uh, for lack of a better term, how slowly they are, uh, how slow they are to open new locations. Um, but you can flip that around and say, no, they're not slow, they're methodical. Costco's the same way. Look at their history. They, they have grown steadily over time. But the pathway to growth for a, a Business as mature as Costco is never going to be. Gosh, if they could just open sixty new locations, <laughs> yeah. like no, that's not how this business has been run to this point, and you wouldn't want them to. No, I think that would be that would be. Uh, I think that'd be a waste of capital. I think management's smart enough to know that too. I mean, these guys are very smart. I mean, they know what's going on in the space, and they see sort of the the, the direction the consumers headed, and so I think they're trying to figure out new ways uh, to perhaps. Be a part of that, and I think that I think that there's a great opportunity for Costco to ink some new partnerships, new relationships with other players in the space. Maybe it's Amazon. I mean, I think they're doing neat things with Boxed.com that goes in there. I mean, Boxed.com uses Costco inventory to help fulfill their orders, and that's that's an online sort of membership model. But you're not having to pay a membership fee, right? You get warehouse shopping without having to pay that fee. Um, so I, I think that generally speaking, there's enough value in the Costco membership where they probably keep that that current base renewing at a healthy uh, rate. I don't know how attractive that is uh, a membership for younger generations of shoppers coming online today. I, I also thought it was just interesting to see this. I mean, knowing that, that the U.S. makes up the gist of Costco sales, makes a lot of it. Um, I didn't realize that California actually uh, comprised. Thirty-one percent of their U.S. sales in 2016. This company is very dependent on California. It's kind of an interesting little factoid there. So, uh, any slowdown in California's economy obviously could could play out on them as well. Um, you mentioned the management. Um, Craig Jelinek, who's the CEO, I think uh, deserves credit for the job he has done in the wake of Jim Senegal. I mean, yeah. Jim Jim Senegal, one of the truly Great CEOs of the last forty years, and leaving enormous shoes to fill. And uh, Jelinek and his team are, are doing a good job. Yeah, that's a tough act to follow when you're very, following very someone tough. like right, like Jim Senegal, who just set set just a great standard. He's got a wonderful reputation, and he left that business in good hands. And I think I think that Craig Jelinek has done a very good job. I think it's a far more uh, competitive 
situation today and looking forward, perhaps, and maybe he even anticipated. But but I think, again, I mean, it's not to say it's a bad business. I think that you have to look at it just from a sheer numbers perspective. I mean, analyst estimates out there have, by 2021, they're seeing $8.92 per share in earnings. Now, stick a 20 multiple on that, and that gets you to about $180 a share. And that's that's up a little bit from today's 150 and change. Um, obviously, a 30 multiple takes that stock price into the 220 range or something like that. But but again, is that fair to assume that it's going to get a 30 multiple? I think if you look at this company's uh, history, uh, multiples are, are a bit high right now. I don't think they're going to to stay at that uh, lofty level for much longer. All right. Before we get to more news, got to say thanks to our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Chances are you're confident when it comes to your work, your hobbies, your life in general. Rocket Mortgage gives you that same level of confidence when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan. With Rocket Mortgage, you can apply simply and understand fully so that you can mortgage confidently. Because let's face it, that's what you want in that situation <laughs> with all of that paperwork. To get started, Go to rocketmortgage.com slash fool. That's rocketmortgage.com slash fool. Equal housing lender licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. Uh, thank you to everyone who came out last Friday evening to Steve Broido's photo exhibit in Crystal City. It was uh, it was great stuff. Uh, a couple of listeners there, Jay, uh, who's uh, one of our longtime fools who was at Fool Fest, was there. Uh, Wade came in from Reston. That's, nice. a, that's a haul. That is a haul. Come on. Coming in from Reston, so uh, so thank you. Uh, and as I teased at the top of the episode, we have a fool gathering later this month in Hong Kong. Yes, Hong Kong, July 29th. Tom Gardner's going to be there. David Kuo, our man in Singapore, he's going to be there. July 29th in Hong Kong. You can drop an email to radio at fool.com and uh, we'll email you all of the details for that event. But um, uh, it should be a lot of fun. So, hey, if you're going to be... I'm not going to be in Hong Kong. Talk about a haul. That is a haul. Also, on that side of the world, we are hiring for Motley Fool Japan. That's right, Motley Fool Japan. You can go to careers.fool.com and check out the job listings that we have there. Uh, Two caveats, I was told. You do actually need to live in Japan. And you need to be fluent in Japanese. So, kind of like the Hong Kong event, I'm not qualified. I, I'm, I'm out for this. I was going to say, two big hurdles that I can't clear. Yeah, I can't think clear I'm going to just stay put. Uh, two news items from the world of sports uh, Club Corp shares are up 30% today. Club Corp is one of the largest operators of private golf clubs in the United States, and Apollo Global is buying Club Corp for $1.1 billion. And I'm assuming. That's a good price, only because shares of Apollo are up a couple of percentage points. And I guess if you're a Club Corp shareholder, you're having a good day. Yeah, I think. I mean, it's probably it's a decent price. I think if you're a Club Corp shareholder, you're probably thinking that uh, perhaps a better price is out there. But uh, it's it's a very interesting space. I mean, I, I have worked at a Club Corp club before um, when I was in the golf business. I mean, we were members of one growing up, and and it's it's a nice. Sort of situation. I mean, I think it's the best way for golf clubs to exist is to be part of that membership family of a, of, a, of a bigger sort of umbrella company there. And we're seeing that is clearly a direction this is this is headed. 
uh, more and more country clubs are becoming members of, of those uh, you know club corp style families. Um, it's just an easier way to spread costs around and uh, really utilize scale as a big advantage, which which is um, a, a meaningful advantage in this in this business. But I think that with with Apollo, they see a a large installed member base. And that in turn brings nice recurring revenue in the form of monthly membership dues. It's a pretty, it's a pretty easy hurdle to clear for membership too, for most part. I mean, these aren't your top of the line like member-owned equity clubs where you're going to pay twenty five thousand dollars initiation fee to get in. I mean, they're reasonable um, initiation fees to get in these clubs, and, and pretty easy monthly due bills to pay as well. And I, I think that. With Club Court, they've done a good job of of building up a family of good golf courses. I mean, the biggest problem golf has seen in the U.S. here recently is an oversaturation of golf courses. I mean, we just clearly had too many golf courses uh, for for not enough golfers, and so you saw a lot of golf courses that were really struggling. But the thing is, a lot of that a lot of that saturation came on the public on the daily fee side. So a lot of those daily fee courses that were meant to sort of open the game up to more folks who either weren't looking to become a member of a club or didn't have the financial means to do so, um, it gave them an opportunity to play. But but that saturation resulted in uh, you know some clubs really not being able to to make up the cost of, of staying open. So the nice thing with with these club core clubs is that their memberships have, have maintained a pretty steady uh, consistent rate of, of renewal and, and modest growth as well. So I think that Apollo sees that as a good opportunity to kind of get this nice sort of sticky membership model. It's a company where when you look at the income statement, their earnings I think are a little bit obscured by a lot of depreciation and amortization on the on the income statement due to a lot of the property that they own. I mean they own a lot of land as you could imagine with all of these golf courses. Um, it's a very cash flow rich company. I think today's offer Shows it at something like seven and a half times operating cash flow. I think that's probably a little bit cheap, given historically it's it's traded up up towards ten and eleven times operating cash flow. So it wouldn't surprise me if perhaps there was a competing bid. But I think that management in this case is going to be happy to kind of get out of the public eye because for a while they had some other activists in there trying to push them towards becoming a REIT and unlocking more value, as they always say. So. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's a good deal, but I wouldn't be surprised at all to see a competing bid coming. You think if Apollo offered a thirty percent buyout premium to Abercrombie and Fitch, they'd take it? <laughs> I doubt it, because I mean, the logic would say, well, you could stock your golf shop with a bunch of Abercrombie and Fitch crap, but nobody wants it apparently. Uh, one more sporting note: uh, Dick's Sporting Good shares are down six percent today, off of an analyst downgrade. This is a little surprising to me in this regard. One of the big stories in retail last year, certainly when you're looking at sports retail, was Sports Authority going bankrupt, going out of business. And by the end of August, Sports Authority had closed all of their locations. And since that time to today, shares of Dick Sporting Good, the number one competitor to Sports Authority, and one you would Absolutely, be forgiven for thinking would benefit from Sports Authority going out of business. Shares of Dick Sporting Good are down almost forty percent since the end of August last year, when Sports Authority disappeared from the planet. Yeah, and I, I tell you, I don't know that it's reasonable to expect these guys to bounce back 
anytime really soon. And I, I you know, I, I was talking on Twitter with some folks, I guess, a week or so ago, just back and forth with Nike's recent earnings and the investments that Nike is making, for example, in their direct-to-consumer part of the business. I mean, that's up to 26 27%, 28% of the overall uh, revenue that they're bringing in annually. Um, you look at Under Armour doing the same thing. I mean, they are investing more and more in their direct-to-consumer, which means they're relying less and less on the middlemen like Dick Sporting Goods. And I mean, I'll throw Foot Locker in there as well, which I mean, these these guys, Foot Locker and Dick Sporting Goods, rely a lot on those two brands, on Under Armour and Nike. They sell a lot of that stuff. And I think, with in the case of Dick Sporting Goods, I think that Under Armour and Nike combined make up for more than a more than a third of the, of their inventory they keep. So, if someone's saying, "Well, I can just buy it directly from the source via Nike or Under Armour," why do I need to go to Dick Sporting Goods? And and clearly. People are buying from Nike and Under Armour directly. Um, in, in the most recent earnings release, Nike noted they've made more than $2 billion this last year in sales on their family of apps alone, primarily the Nike app. But, but Under Armour's doing the same thing. I mean, I've, I've, I, whenever I buy anything from Under Armour, I just I go directly to that app. I mean, they've got everything saved, they know what I'm looking for. So it's, it's a very pleasant experience. It's easy. They're keying in on free shipping, free returns, they know what the consumers like. Um, and just makes the hurdle that much tougher for these these physical footprints that that Dick's Sporting Goods and Foot Locker hold. I mean, Dick's typically is going to be that big standalone store. Foot Locker, I think, is in a lot of malls, and they're not necessarily feeling all that great about that right now either. So I, I think that you look at Dick's Sporting Goods and Foot Locker; those are two companies I would be very wary of investing money in today. I mean, I'm not saying I'd short them, but I certainly feel like if you're going to invest in this market, it's easier. To go ahead and invest in something like a Nike or an Under Armour, because the the direction where that is headed in, in the direct to consumer, they are making all of those big investments, and and they are they are paying off. I'm assuming though that Foot Locker does better in terms of uh, revenue per square foot, just because the locations are so much smaller. Yeah, the locations are smaller, and I mean that's that's and you, certainly you, you a good have point, to get but... more drop in traffic there than a Dick's. I mean, you you go to a, a store that size, then. You, you are intentionally going there, whereas if you're just walking around a mall, yeah. it's easy to just be like, oh, let's just pop in here. Yeah, I would imagine the traffic that goes to a Dick's Sporting Goods store, it's it's more intentional versus a Foot Locker, where certainly it's going to be intentional, but I, I would also think the percentage of just incidental traffic there is going to be much higher because of that mall setting. Again, I mean, when you look at those mall numbers, I mean, it seems like the traffic is dwindling, and we've talked about companies that have strong mall presences. I mean, Starbucks being one where Thankfully, it's so big, and they have so many stores all over the world and in all sorts of settings. I don't think they're going to feel the same kind of pinch that that Foot Locker, that Foot Locker might, uh, because that that product that they're selling is so specific, and, and people kind of know when they're going there and what they're trying to buy. Thanks for being here. You got it. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.